Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. I am, as always, Catherine Troyer, and I am, as always, delighted to be joined by Anthony Tresca. Hey there! This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us for our discussion this week over A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. excited for us to continue our discussion of the uh, Nightmare franchise. I said something incorrectly uh, in our episode on Nightmare 3, and that is I said that I didn't think I had seen the Dream Master. I have Mm -hmm. seen the Dream Master, so I don't know. I don't know why I had forgotten it. I don't know if it's just because that's the reason I now use Letterboxd to keep track of all the films I've seen. Oh, yes, of course. Or if it's just because, you know, at some point it's easy for all of the films to kind of blur together. But yes, I lied. I had actually seen this film. Um, so there you go. I, I think it's kind of understandable that you kind of forgot about this film because it is, it does in a way really feel like just an extension of Nightmare 3. Mm-hmm. And that that is a unique aspect about this film and, and a unique aspect in our discussion of the Nightmare franchise because this is the first Nightmare on Elm Street sequel that is a direct sequel to the previous movie. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, that's, I mean, that's kind of interesting, at least. I mean, ultimately, I think it mostly doesn't work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my take early on, is that perhaps... Um, Perhaps Nightmare on Elm Street shouldn't, should have maybe stayed uh, with its kind of like episodic structure where it just like switches things kind of, where it doesn't kind of try to like tell this straight narrative line and kind of jump, jumps around. Yeah, so I think we've, we've talked about the fact that, that one of our favorite things about the first three Nightmares was the fact that, like you said, they, they feel episodic um, they, and, and in that way it's okay that each one of them has a really different approach to what, what the dream world dreamscape looks like, um, how we have to understand our source of horror um, and all that good stuff. But the moment that you introduce a, a carryover narrative, we expect as an audience for there to be a carryover of the, the larger, like approach to the horror, the themes, the things like that. And I don't think that that nightmare four gives us the same things that are present in Nightmare 3. So there's this weird sort of tension, right, between us expecting things because of the carryover of the narrative, Mm -hmm. but the film fitting into the larger franchise, which is that every film is doing its own thing. It's just this one's doing its own thing, but also asking you to see it as a carryover. Yeah, it's it's a continuation over, at least in terms of... It's a carryover from the third Nightmare on Elm Street, at least in terms of narrative because yes. it can directly continues the story of Kristen Kincaid and Joey from the previous film. However, I would argue though that it fails to carry over something incredibly important for that from Nightmare 3 and 
that was the fact that Nightmare 3 is ultimately, at the end of the day, a disaffirmative horror text. Mm -hmm. It is highly anti-institutional. It is very much kind of like critiquing systemic problems. And I mean, honestly, the other two are also pretty largely disaffirmative. You can make a bit of an argument on the first two, though, that maybe they're not as clearly disaffirmative. Mm -hmm. But the third one is pretty clearly disaffirmative. But Nightmare 4 is our first nightmare film that is clearly an affirmative horror film. And it's interesting because I think, you know, it. I feel like the film didn't necessarily want to be that. So it tries to to sort of reject some of the, the tenets of the slasher film. Our final girl is not our final girl, although that's mm-hmm. not really that new, right? <laughs> Even as, as, as early as, as Psycho, right? We're having the sort of trickery of uh, our final girls. The fake um, out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, it tries to make it so that our, our final girls even more sort of on the outskirts, um, you know, in terms of where she fits in in society and her family and all that stuff. But you're absolutely correct that, like, the way that she sort of accepts her power is by fitting perfectly into the status quo, right? It's by mm-hmm. winning the hunky um, football star. Yeah, the, her whole character development in the film is about taking the pictures off the wall so that she can see herself. And then what does she see when she sees herself? Someone who fits perfectly into a society, into this kind of like more domestic role. Exactly. And one of the big themes of of Nightmare 1, right, is the, the scene that just always cracks me up where the mom's like, come Nancy, come down to the basement. And then she, you know, takes out the the knived glove and she's like we killed him nancy don't worry like mm-hmm. i just that that scene cracks me up every time but it's that scene that allows for just affirmative reading right because it's saying that the we have created the monster that is attacking our child mm-hmm. and and that monster is is literally freddy and so yeah he was a bad dude but also it's the the idea that you know suburbia can just whitewash anything right and that we can just yeah. bury the, our bones and so but in this one right um alice actually says you know like it's um because someone's like well well why is he attacking these people now right and alice says you know um he just clearly needs new victims and so he becomes this monster that is truly an other truly an outsider Mm -hmm. and is a threat that has nothing to do right with um this society there's i mean this would have been such a good film to have like a medical angle in right or a school angle there could have been so many great things i really thought this one was going to be about kind of the educational system since so much of like kind of the opening scenes are set in the school but then it ultimately doesn't really commit to no. that and so i mean like you it's it's kind of would be even foolish to have any more further discussion of that education angle and the horror that could stem from that because the film ultimately doesn't commit to that instead it kind of like just does shittier versions of the same sources of horror that were present in the other movies and i do want to point out last time when we talked about nightmare on elm street 3 i said it was going to be really difficult for them to do sins of the parents as another source of horror since they the films that those three films even if they are not narratively connected they are thematically connected by kind of this children pay for the sin sins of their parents larger thematic angle but we received our atonement at the end of nightmare 3 and which is weird because this is a direct sequel to nightmare on elm street 3 dream Mm -hmm. warrior Mm -hmm. and 
they just kind of unwrap this element, the sins of your parents resulting in your in the children's problems again, just because, like, I mean, Kristen dies again because the sins of her mom uh, were kind of led to believe that Rick and Alice's problems a lot are stemming largely from their aspirin addict and alcoholic father. Until he suddenly becomes, like, super involved in her life positively, right? Like, Posi- was, yes. Yeah, there was a really weird uh, shift. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely correct. And, and the other characters that we have are the clear... Um, again, they're they're the social outliers, right? It's the it's the woman who works out and and like prides her her body and her strength. Um, mm-hmm. It's the quiet nerdy girl who, again, if we're talking about a film that's you know coming out in nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty eight, right? The fact that we have another main character who's black. I mean, again, that that's just not something that we're going to see a lot of um, in eighties horror. And so, I think you're so right that like on the surface there's so much is set up to allow us to continue with this sins of the father or certainly sins of the society it it doesn't have anything to really say about that though it's just more of a way into the kind of like dream shenanigans that this film wants to explore which i is a point it's just something to mention that is different about this film than the other three in which The other three nightmare films had very specific and articulated sources of horror and from which all of the scenes sequences or a majority of the scenes in those films were furthering the horror sequences were furthering Mm -hmm. that source of horror whereas this one really doesn't have that kind of clear articulated source of horror and instead is just kind of like more of capitalizing on the dream the horrifying elements of dreams broadly Again. Do, you know what it, do you know what it kind of reminds me of? So so we talked a lot about with, with 1, 2, and 3 that, that there's a messiness that is, is actually rather desirable, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I feel like the difference between 1, 2, and 3 and 4 um, is the difference between people that actually make abstract art thoughtfully and people that think that it's just about throwing colors onto a onto a canvas right Mm, like mm -hmm. uh you know abstract artists even when they are allowing for chance or for like um you know like splatters and and things like that like like pollock and such right they they had an uh, an idea that they were hoping to express and they were okay if it was messy in its articulation they still had a vision right Mm -hmm. whereas there's sort of this like you know pop culture understanding of abstract art that like anyone could do it right and all you have to do is like throw some colors onto a canvas and you're done and i feel like that's the difference between one two three and four is that one two and three they're messy and they're and they're complicated and they don't always carry through on things and they sometimes have mixed messaging but there was a plan there was a vision um and we get to see that whereas nightmare four said well the messiness was successful the first three times so we'll just keep on being messy and see what what lands on the canvas and the truth is is that the result was nothing, right? Nothing of, of substance. Um, yeah. Except for some admittedly amazing kill scenes. Okay, Ex- that's exactly where I was going to go. As I was like, I do, I ultimately don't want to be insanely harsh on the film, though, because this film does feature some, I, I mean, frankly, the best Freddy scene that we have seen so far in terms of the Deb cockroach scene that we see in this film. Oh, and see, I think the Joey waterbed scene is the one I would Oh my use. goodness. Well, yeah, so see, like there's at least two, right? There's at least two. And I have, I mean, I also think that the scene in the hospital with 
Freddy as the campy nurse mm-hmm. is really good. And I even think that the final showdown between Freddy and Alice is ultimately really cool, particularly when you get to see all the practical effects of the, the yes. souls being released from Freddy's body, yes. which was, I, I mean, the practical effects in this movie are yes. yet again amazing and horrifying and really tapping into the really good elements of grotesque. And the, the ones that are, are less practical or that rely on a combination of practical and like CGI, like um, when Alice gets sucked into the black and white sort of apocalyptic film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just so well done. So I, I'm so yeah. glad that you said like, I, I certainly still have to see this Nightmare 4 as being leagues above countless other slasher films that, oh, yeah. that have the same issue that Nightmare 4 does, right? Of this sort of lack of a deeper essence because ah it's just so much fun to watch it is so much fun to watch and this film this film did not try to introduce some new elements it does at least in terms of like the larger nightmare universe and expanding the dream lore it certainly does some to explore this kind of notion of a daydreamer and then this further idea of a dream master hence Mm -hmm. the title obviously yeah there was a really fantastic line and now i'm gonna completely butcher it uh when they're in the church and kruger says um you have their identities but i have their souls and he may not say identities to to her um but 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 he like makes that distinction and i was like "Ooh, that's interesting right this idea that uh you know because really what we're seeing there in those final moments uh, is this fantastic deconstruction of the final girl um, monster binary, right? Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey Jerome Cohen, who we've mentioned before in this podcast, he wrote uh, the Monster Culture Seven Theses, where he said, like, hey, monsters have always existed. Here are seven, like, theses or arguments that I'm going to say um, hold true kind of across the board that explain why we interact and continue to engage with monsters and one of one of them is he says that you know monsters break down this idea that everything is either or by making it this idea that it's like and or right and and what we see that's so fascinating in in nightmare four um is that all the things that alice does that makes her successful are the same things that that freddie's doing right Mm -hmm. it's just that she's doing it for good and he's doing it for evil Um, and that's, but getting to see, you know, like with Nancy, she turns her back. She ignores him, right? In Nightmare 1. Um, in Nightmare 2, he doesn't, he doesn't make it at the end. Jesse doesn't make it. Nightmare 3, she like has to like, again, burst past him. Kristen does. But in Nightmare 4, Alice becomes Freddy. Yeah, essentially. Or you at least acknowledge like some, it's a, it's a similar play on this idea of a rejection of the binary that like. I mean, the previous three nightmares have admittedly explored. But this is, a, I mean, a really clear crystallization of that idea because they're not, it's not two separate things. They're they're essentially acknowledging the sameness of these two things that are supposedly diametrically opposed. They are, uh, I mean, as is like heavy-handedly explained to the audience in that that lecture scene, uh, which... 
We got to relive one of our favorite tropes, where a lecture in an educational environment where the main character gets to hear the teacher yes. talk about the main themes of the movie. Although, can I say, it cracked me up in this one, right? Because like in, in a lot of them, you can see the, the character being like, oh, I should take notes on this. But in this one, it's like, why are you falling asleep in the most important lecture of your life? Right? So, but yeah, it cracked me up when he was like, some say that there are gateways and dream masters. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was like, they're, they're kind of like, it's like, they're kind of justifying it with like, Aris, they're bringing in Aristotle mm. to kind you of know, like make their silly dream master concept like it work makes and it ground worse it. To me. It makes it worse to me when they like bring in, when they name drop, usually, almost exclusively, a white dead man, right? Where they're like, as Shakespeare said, as Aristotle said, and it's like, come on, folks, we'll smooth beyond. But but I, I think you're right that that the they acknowledge that there's going to be this binary, right? There are two gates, they say. And at the end of the film, uh, you know, when Alice gets that coin and she throws it into the fountain and then she sees the reflection of Freddy, I think we can and should acknowledge that that's one of the places where I think the film succeeds in allowing us to have multiple sort of lines of interpretation. Because we could read it as um, Freddy's still around. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's going to come back. Um, or we could read it as she's yep. seeing a reflection of herself. And what is being reflected is Freddy, either because, again, she's kind of assumed his powers. Or because, as she has done with everyone else who has died, she has taken them into her person. Right? So there's a possibility to read the end of the film that, that you yeah. know, just as she takes over all these other character traits... Um, from her friends and loved ones, she's also taking over a piece of Freddy. She becomes the thing, the monster that she was trying to destroy. Exactly, exactly. And you know, we have to like fear a little bit for her, her clueless boyfriend there at the end, right? Because Freddy is still around. Poor Dan. He really does get like the short end <laughs> of the stick. I mean, he's just a he's a little hembo. I know, but he's so, so there empty. for her, uh, even when he gets like massively stabbed. Yeah, that's a that is that's like the whole that's the concept of the online term hembo. It's just like head empty, bimbo, strong man kind of like. Clearly, I'm not up on the the youth lingo. So. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you can just take my, trust take my word that Dan. Uh, the character from Excellent Nightmare 4 is a certified um, hembo. Yeah, so he's, like, at the end, right? Like, he's the <laughs> one that we're, we're going to have to be like, oh, no, I hope nothing bad again happens to you. Because clearly Alice is damaged, broken, monstrous, at least certainly not the person she was before, for better and worse. Um, and I think that's one of the few places where the film, like, started to get its act together. But the problem is, is that's what, in the last 30 seconds? Yeah, it does kind of like kind of go into that. And it is frustrating that so they do acknowledge Alice's power as a dream master, but they kind of drop the element about one of the really interesting elements I, about Alice and dreams that I thought they were going to explore more, which is her unique ability as a day dreamer. Yes, that would have been really because neat. you get to see it momentarily that she's used because of her daydreaming powers that gives her an even greater power than Kristen had when she had this same kind of yes. abil type of ability from Nightmare 3. Because like you, after Rick dies, she further removes the pictures from the mirrors and now Alice can do nunchucks and she <laughs> stands up to her father. And so like we're seeing her using the daydreaming powers, which yes. is unique. However, 
that never comes back in any significant way to factor into the main plot and is never and is not used again in the conclusion. It's not the reason that she's able to ultimately overpower Freddy. And so it just kind of seems like a throwaway element that they were like, well, we've included new dream lore in every yeah. single nightmare. So uh, daydreamer, make her a daydreamer. Yeah, I think if they had found a way to kind of really play with this idea that, that what separates Freddy um, and Alice is is that... Freddy takes their souls, but not their identities. And so that means that he's using them as an energy charge, but he's not still like touching who they were as people. Right. Whereas Alice's power comes from the fact that, that she is, you know, like one, but many. Right. Or, and so I think like if they had found a way to really kind of play up this idea of, of, of community, um, even if the community there at the end is just Alice, as opposed to the destroyer of community, which is how Freddy is depicted. Again, uh-huh. that would have been nice because there would have been this like day and night, uh, you know, daydream and nightmare um, community builder and community destroyer. But again, I-, I think the film got distracted. It, yeah, it would have really even, honestly, the film even begins to try to establish what we're saying because in that lecture, the, the key element that the professor tells the students to take away is that the dream master is the, is the one who guards the positive mm-hmm. gate and helps keep others safe. And so you really get this idea that but may, that they are, were, they did want this to be the takeaway, but then they ultimately got distracted because they were like focusing yeah. on creating cool kills is, is more important than following through on the themes of the film, which I have to say, will, but while, while, while grotesque kills will get you somewhere, uh, it will not get you nearly as far as carrying it's through true. your thematic materials, yeah, at the, least on this podcast. This is true. Uh, which is such a pity because in addition to them being really grotesque, um, they continued something that you and I praised for Nightmare 3, and that was that the the nightmares, yes. the things that happen to the people, actually um, are built upon their nightmares, right? Um, as, like, Joey was having that scene with the woman, I was like, poor Joey, he just should never look at attractive women again because he should just know they are all going to turn bad. Um, or the cockroach, right? Like, um, or Kincaid's like mm-hmm. inability to be strong there at the end. Um, all of the scenes uh, really, again, connect to their source, the character's source of horror. Um, and that's such a fantastic thing to do as opposed to this like generic, if you just fall asleep, I'll instantly slash you that one and two kind of rely on. Um, and so I really appreciated that. And again, yeah. there was so much potential for that to become really driving force of this film. But unfortunately, it was just fantastic kills, mediocre purpose. Yeah, because, and I, it is admittedly, it is quite good that they are linking the deaths specifically to individuals' fears. It's just that a lot, The I guess the real problem with this movie is that a lot of their fear, the fears that they choose to focus on, and the, the ones that at least don't work quite as well, are because the there are so many kills yes. and so many tertiary side characters in this film. Like there are a lot of characters in Nightmare Three, uh, I, more than certainly in one or two by a substantial amount, and there are even more in this movie. And the kills that don't work, like the classroom Freddy yeah. with Sheila, like she, Sheila, I I really don't understand why she's in this movie other than to kind of like create the this Deus Ex Machina kind of device invention to give to alice yeah. 
Uh, and this movie doesn't know why she's here either, as is evidenced by, like, this generic classroom mm-hmm. scene, which is kind of good. It's in concept, but it's really shallow horror because what what does this scene do to further the rest of this movie's ideas and the rest of this movie's source of horrors about yeah. this idea of a dream master, the good versus the bad? Yeah. The answer is it doesn't. And even uh, Rick's death has a similar sort of feel to it, right? It's this very elaborate, and I understand that, like, her again, her brother needed to die because... Mm-hmm. Um, and that we needed to have like a link to to Kristen and the link as the brother, um, but both of those scenes, right? I think part of the problem that for you and me is that it was promise unfulfilled because they were both classroom scenes, and this would have been a great opportunity to really talk about the classroom as a as a place um, in this sort of disaffirmative understanding of society, right? Um, even more so than like number two got to cover. Um, but unfortunately, again, it was just like, oh, yeah, we all have those nightmares where we're taking tests. And it could have been like, hey, um, <laughs> I mean, this would it would this would have been admittedly really nerdy to have it be like a, a, a scathing critique of standardized tests. Like, I understand that's not sexy. Sure, sure. Um, but like some, you know, that sort of thing would have been interesting. Or like, why is it that Rick's bathroom um, becomes this almost like club scene? Right. Like, again, I think there were places yeah, they could have like, explored goes- it. He goes to that club scene and then he goes into that weird Japanese room downstairs, yeah. which was just one of those fun, problematic elements of appropriation that Rick's character got to do. It was not his only bad and weird kind of sketch thing. He's also he is also homophobic early yeah. on in the film, so he's both appropriative and homophobic. So I guess at least they were consistent with Rick. They were, and and they've also been consistent. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. They've also been consistent in these four films with giving us um, not complete, total douchebag male characters. Um, whereas some of the other franchise slasher franchises, like just have the the guy that's just so, so manly, um, and like yeah. that you're just like I can't wait until your delightful end. But uh, Nightmare continues to kind of, like, refuse to give us characters, even starting back with Rod, that were like, you know, yay, I'm so excited for you to die. Because by the time we, I mean, at first I was excited for Rod to die, but then he gets all sensitive and, like, scared, right? Um, And in this film, same, I mean, like, Rick starts out and he's like, he's homophobic and he's appropriating someone else's culture, which admittedly, this is Karate Kid era, so everyone's doing that. Um, But then by the end, we're like, oh, he actually, like, loves his sister and he actually mm-hmm. is compassionate towards Kristen's like needs. So it was really just interesting to see the film again make these efforts and but then fail to to live up to the to the groundwork that they'd been laying. I don't know about you, but uh, as I was watching this film this time, I I was thinking about the super sacrilegious comment that I made uh, on our episode about Nightmare 3 and about Oh yeah, uh, the, about how you compared huh. um Nightmare 3 and 2 the Holy Bible. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how you read uh, <laughs> Freddy Krueger as a Christ figure. Yeah, no, I'm not going to easily forget about that one. And our audience shouldn't oh, as well. Oh, gosh, I know. I, I, like, <laughs> I was like, I need to, to atone. Um, but it was really hard. Although, if Nightmare 4 is to be believed, atonement doesn't matter. That is true. Uh, because they already atoned, and all it took was some evil doggo coming back and pissing on Freddy's place of burial to That's true. undermine all atonement. Uh, a dog who's, you know, delightfully named Jason. Um, exactly. Yeah, so, 
But I, I couldn't help but think of, of that because, you know, we have the resurrection scene uh, in this one. And, and like, the, like, scary version of, like, you shouldn't have buried me. Um, and then yes. and then we have, uh, again, we're going to extend this metaphor for everything it's worth, right? We have the sort of, like, oh, um, the original disciple cohort, right, that actually knew Jesus. And then there's the apostles right. who didn't actually know Jesus but were, you know, like, reached out to by the disciples. And we kind of have that idea here, right, that it's not the yeah. actual core uh children it's it's anyone that is a is um infected by, by the core children um and then that mm -hmm. final scene happens in a a church right um exactly and and, and we the, the film also is uh again directly biblical it opens with a quote from the bible when deep sleep falleth on men men fear came upon me and trembling which made all my bones to shake so i mean it op it's openly yeah biblical yeah. and from right from the start and also this is the first nightmare film that confirms that some souls do get to go to heaven or at least a good place mm -hmm. after death and there's a good place and a bad place for souls to go which is interesting yeah it is interesting uh because because that that particular schema i don't think they needed to necessarily introduce it right um, they could have just had to be that, like, sometimes you get eaten by Freddy Krueger. Um, and so their desire to introduce it means that they're trying to build, again, this sort of larger cosmos. Um, not always successfully, but but they're trying. I think it's really interesting that in both Nightmare 1 and Nightmare 4, um, and I assume, I think this happens a, a little bit in Nightmare 3 as well, that there's this understanding that the way to defeat Freddy is to is to turn away from from Western belief systems. Um, you know, in, in Nightmare 1, Nancy talks about, um, uh, I forget which, I think I think it's monks, but it's it's uh, an Asian understanding of, of, like, dreams. And then there's, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. in Nightmare 3, there's kind of this understanding that, like, Western medication isn't always the solution. Um, yeah, they joke about that in the directly yeah. in the scene with the head nurse yeah. yeah and then you know in nightmare four that idea of the the gates and, and you know the any really anything about like dreams really doesn't come from a sort of western philosophy not not unless it's heavily freudian um and that wasn't what was happening here so i think it's really interesting that the film keeps suggesting that the solution to our very uh western world monster is to turn to to eastern understandings of the world i'm not sure how i feel about it though although actually that's i don't know if that's necessarily true in this movie because this is the first film to directly link it to aristotle and like the which is kind of the core of at least this idea of the western canon that's true even the concept of the dream the dream master that was that is in this movie is explicitly tied to aristotle that's a phrase that is attributed to him so i I think it's it's a weird yes yeah you're right it is it is and sort no. of well okay it's I don't know it's an appropriation <laughs> right like it's a mishmash it's an appropriation yeah it is um, that's a better way to describe because it because yeah. they you're right that they they make it this explicit link to Aristotle but they're also using sort of imagery and concepts that that are often ascribed to to more Eastern philosophies 
and then they add in that Rick element, right? Of like how Alice can, you know, now do Kung Fu or whatever it is she thinks she can do. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that there's this idea that like the solution lies outside of the society, but whereas one and three in particular, I think do a better job because again, they're just affirmative, right? They're saying that yes, our society yes, yes. is the problem. This one's like, hmm, I mean, maybe our society is the problem, but you know, also Aristotle sure had things right because he was white and, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I actually, I, I see where you're coming from. And this film also further kind of like muddies, muddies it and creates this distinction that force it will ultimately force it to, again, have to be affirmative. Like in that final fight, when Alice and Freddie are talking, Freddie says this admittedly well-written line, welcome to Wonderland, Alice, which is a great reference. But it also is a clear distinction that this is different from the rest of the world. This is a separate, magical, liminal space, and the problems that are here are only in this space. If you can get out of this space, it's fine, which that then, that there's no other way to then read that final fight and subsequently the entire rest of the films other than under this affirmative lens. But the problem is, as you're saying, the film is setting up, sending mixed messages throughout about whether or not then the solution is just to fit back blindly into Western culture or to consult these other outside means. And we've argued that one, two, and three also send messages, right? Are they affirmative or Again, disaffirmative? Yeah, Are absolutely. they saying that science is the answer or not? Is it a, a text um, condemning being gay or is it a text celebrating being gay? And the answer mm-hmm. for the first three was like, uh-huh, yes, but no. Um, and I think that this film, Nightmare 4, again, it just comes goes back to it set up the room to explore all of these things or to have that delightful degree of messiness, but somewhere along the way, and I think you're right that it's the sheer number of kills that got in the way, right? Um, We aren't able to carry through the themes that we need to carry through. And then just like, just the, some sloppiness throughout, like focus, I mean, that line again that I said, is it admittedly well it's a good line. Welcome mm-hmm. to Wonderland, Alice. It's a good reference. It's even, it's clever thing that I hadn't picked up, picked up on. I hadn't made that connection yet in my mind that this was similar to like a Wonderland style, one Alice in Wonderland style myth, which it is, mm-hmm. admittedly. Uh, but that one line unnecessarily complicates the rest of the themes of the movie. Yeah. And undermines them. Yeah, it would have been really fantastic if they would have uh, written that line or had that line in mind first, right? Because they could have made the entire narrative be an Alice in Wonderland theme, right? Very easily. And, the, and there's and, like these hints, right? Because oh. it's cockroaches instead of a caterpillar. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's someone that's um, kind of a, a Mad Hatter figure instead of, uh, but with like no one quite believing her. And I'm talking about Kristen, right? Like, so we, we could yeah. almost make it work, but it's it, again, almost isn't quite good enough not for the nightmare franchise you know and now you just can't help me be thinking that i really the thing that i need in my life is kind of like themed nightmare uh episodes you know like how you know how the muppets like will do like the wizard of oz or the muppets will do the christmas carol why can't freddy krueger do alice in wonderland i don't know freddy krueger do the great gatsby i think that this is a right i for i know actually i was thinking about that and i was like 
because even Wizard of Oz would be fantastic. But what about like Treasure Island? And that very much came from the Muppets. But like, again, there's just mind blown. Well, frankly, listeners, I don't think we're going to be able to get any better than this idea of now putting Freddy Krueger into uh, classic stories yeah. and adapt and uh, Muppet-ifying Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely peaked um, because now I'm thinking like Christmas Carol. Just the, yeah. the sky is the limit. Uh, the sky's the limit here. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us for our discussion of Nightmare 4, Dream, the Dream Master. We will be continuing our examination of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. But as we always do, we like to take a nice little like palate cleanse. And so our next episode is actually going to be on... Another film from 1988, although a very different film. We're going to be examining Heathers. In the meantime, we will have a spooky scraps video that you can find on our YouTube channel that's specifically looking at uh, an element of Nightmare 4. And we also want to encourage you to check out all of our social medias, which are linked in the description of this video. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family who might be interested in us. And as always, have a spooktacular day.